Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Welcome to the Tough Stuff Podcast. Here we go beyond vanity numbers, designer handbags, and perfect highlights to talk about the unsexy parts of business. I'm Audrey Saccone, founder of Audrey Digital, a Shopify web development agency based in New York City. We support incredible celebrity and influencer-founded brands, and I'm bringing that Rolodex straight to you so that you can get a true peek behind them and their businesses. We believe that you can learn a lot more from the lows than the highs, so we're bringing all those learnings to the forefront. Let's dive in. Amandina Altamare is a powerhouse female founder and thought leader paving the way for the new age in social media marketing. Her unique background in acting and PR make her an incomparable storyteller. Amandina's talent for social media and digital marketing was cultivated during her time in fashion PR when she represented acclaimed designers like Christian Siriano and denimware brand Seven for All Mankind. Amandina launched Media a la carte in May of 2020 and has now launched a brick and mortar studio a la carte and grown the company to a team of nine with a community of over 22,000. The company has helped over 150 businesses and individuals grow their online presence since its inception. And with a passion for KPIs and an insatiable New York work ethic, which I can attest to, Amandina and her company are coveted partners for brands in fashion, wellness, hospitality, and entertainment spaces. Amandina, welcome to the show. Oh my God, I am so excited to be here. Totally honored and so pumped for the launch of this podcast. Oh, thank you. We've only known each other for, I think we're like just coming up on our one-year anniversary, but it feels like years. I feel like I feel like you've just always been in my life. And our mutual friend Maritza introduced us because she's like, you know, you should meet Amantina. You both live in New York. You both love theater. Like maybe you'll be friends. And she was right. And, you know, I think one of the reasons we've been friends, and I think we both express this, is because you and I talk about our tough stuff together constantly. And I think nothing bonds entrepreneurs better than going through the thick of it together. Yes. Amen. It is so funny to think we've been friends for a year now. One of the things that I have appreciated the most, and we were just chatting about this at dinner the other night, Mm -hmm. is that some people who feel really comfortable sharing or just, you know, I think that's something that's so amazing about you is you're like, I will tell you my shit or you will just be open (laughs) about your stuff. And there are some entrepreneurs who like gates are closed, will only tell you the good stuff. And we chatted too about how we were both raised like that, sort of like, don't only share the good things. People will think you're weak. And it's just like not getting you anywhere. So I'm super, I think this podcast is amazing for that very reason. And I'm so pumped. Well, thank you for teeing up my intro of the podcast because here on The Tough Stuff, We talk about all the things we don't hear on regular podcasts. And today we're going to talk about something we've both worked on together in tandem, but separately in our own businesses, which is scaling a team and maintaining our deliverable standards at the same time, which as any service provider knows, is probably one of the most difficult transitions when you're going from solo service provider, especially like in our case, you have a lot of experience to hiring training and delegating to a team that doesn't have the same background as you. So tell me about your hiring journey. Oh my God. Well, it's really funny because I'm actually in person with my team today. And I was like, you guys got to go. Like I sent them to (laughs) my credit card. I was like, go to Starbucks because I'm going to be talking about some 
Tough stuff that maybe you shouldn't be around for. So anyway, all right. So it has been hard with a capital H, dare I say, it has been a bitch to hire and scale to our standards, I think. And I'm working through that and learning as we go. But it definitely has been, I think, the hardest thing. You know, I'll bring it back. Like, it's just been a really crazy year for us in terms of like, you know, when your business is doing well, what you want is leads coming in, more business, right? And then what you find is that you don't have the people to support that. And about a year ago, we had like our second hire, our like first full-time account executive give her notice. And that was the first time I had dealt with someone like who was really integral and important to our team leaving. It was absolute chaos upheaval. I was working like 16, 18 hour days trying to cover. We were like desperately trying to hire. I learned so many lessons along the way, especially about not just assuming that someone has the skills. Like, you know, I think I would vibe with someone in a job interview. We'd have a second interview. I'd be like, great, they're amazing. They would send in work samples and I would review and my COO would review then they would start and there would be like such a disparity between what Mm -hmm. we saw in the interview and their work samples and in what they were executing for us. And not just a disparity in like they need training, like it was a wrong fit type of disparity. So now we have a lot more systems in place to combat that. But just for anyone listening to this, it can definitely be a learning curve. And it is not just you. Just know that like so many entrepreneurs and founders go through this really difficult part of scaling and trying to find the right talent. Yes. And I think for us, especially, we're working with some clients with very high expectations who maybe have large audiences or are very visible and they need things done to a certain level that maybe, you know, our teams don't understand because they haven't done it before, which is totally reasonable. And I know for you, you've lost a client over that, which we all have, I have as well. And what was that conversation like with your client when they brought that to you and were unhappy? Oh my gosh. You know, I think a good learning lesson as a founder and something that I'm proud of in handling a situation like that is I'm not going to dump it on the team member, right? It is Mm -hmm. my business. I am responsible for that. That can also be a really hard pill to swallow, right? Because you're like, I did absolutely everything in my power to make this good, to let you can't catch everything. You can't watch everything mistakes are going to happen on your team. And it's funny, I was just watching Suits last night. I'm like on this Suits kick. Like, I know it's so old. Everyone's like, (laughs) oh, it's so good though. It's so good. Anyway, and and there's a line about taking the fall for your team because that's your job, like when you've gotten to a certain level. And it really resonated with me because, you know, like I'm going to have the conversation with that team member about, you know, and and there's a line there too, because it's like, do you tell the team member directly that like this loss is directly because of them? Or are you continuing to make efforts to walk forward? And, And my COO and I have like very different opinions on that. She's like, let them fall, let them fail. It's, you know, they'll learn. And I'm like, no, because it reflects back on the business. So there's a lot to unpack there. But I think like, you know, in that particular situation where we lost a client because of a mistake, that a team member made, I was like, you own up to it. You take responsibility. You do everything you can to make the client happy or like make it right so you can part amicably. And then you examine the repercussions. It's like, at the time too, it would have hurt us more to let go of that team member, right? Then we're hiring again. It's like, so we're continuing to sort of like train and rebuild and and try to give them the idea of what that consequence is. It's like 
Because I think especially in the younger generation, not to go on about this and sound like a boomer, but with the younger generation, they don't quite understand that their mistake impacts their, especially at a smaller company, impacts their salary. I think that we're used to like thinking of these large conglomerate corporations where it's like, oh, well, well, one mistake, you know, with the pandemic and the boom of, I think, startups, smaller businesses, like your impact on a company can directly reflect back onto your job, your salary your sustainability there, which I think the younger generation like doesn't have a grasp on yet. So just trying to strike a balance of communicating that while not like absolutely scaring the hell out of them, I think is a really interesting, interesting line to walk. I mean, I think when you're in your early 20s, you have no idea. I remember when I worked my first job and I worked at a nonprofit and one of the interesting things about nonprofits is they have to publish their financial statements. So I knew, and they're always like a year or two behind, but we all had full visibility into how much money the company had. And I'm like, I'm sorry, this is a $6 million organization. We have 30 employees and I make $42,000 a year. This math is not mathing to me because I'm like, what are you, what else you can do with that money? You should just be giving it right. to me. We can hire more people, not fully understanding how expensive it is to run a business and all the other line items that go into it, you know, not understanding how what I was doing could be positively or negatively impacting the business because it wasn't my responsibility. So you have no idea. 100%. 100%. It's so funny when you're on the other side and you look back at those opportunities or, or your jobs in the beginning. And now you're like, oh, I've had so many moments this past year where I'm like, oh, that's why my old boss did that. You know what I mean? You learn you're on the other side and you can't learn that until you're at the helm like you just can't it's from experience but it is a doozy when you do learn and you wish you could tell the younger generation sometimes like you guys just get it together you know <laughs> you have to learn and fail yourself and then you learn yeah so you had this experience you had this conversation with the client you talked to the team time has passed how has that affected how you delegate what you delegate any lingering fears or anxieties that are coming up now, now that you've had this, I don't want to speak for you, but I know for me, like my biggest fear is like, I never want to be fired. Nobody wants to be fired, you know? And with clients, you have a lot of people you can get fired from in any given. It's so much worse than having a job. How do you marry all of that together? <laughs> that is the sentence of the day. When you have clients, there's a lot of ways you can get fired as opposed to when you just have a job. That is so accurate. <laughs> yeah, I have PTSD from not, no, I mean, no, let's be honest. Once you get to a certain point when you've had lots of clients and you've had varying degrees of people coming and going and things working out great, things not working out, you sort of, you get a thick skin and you're a little bit immune to it. But I will say it has shifted my perspective on hiring. And, you know, I think that I have been pretty understanding with our team in the past. I am an empath all the way. I am like, I get why you did that. I understand. I want you to succeed so badly. But there's also a line when you are the business owner, you cannot let emotional decisions impact what is right for the business. I'm saying to myself, I'm telling myself over and over <laughs> every day. <laughs> You cannot let your emotions dictate what decisions <laughs> make the business. But it really has, I think, looping back around, you know, I realized that we have kept this person who I knew maybe wasn't a good fit and the consequence. So really, although it was this team member's fault, was it my fault for keeping that person around? Like, you really have to ask yourself those tough questions, I think, because 
ultimately it is everything that the team does, you are really responsible. You know, I, I, that's a bold statement, but it really has made me examine making decisions with the longevity of the business, the health of the business mm -hmm. in mind. And sometimes that means letting go of a team member or, you know, making some really tough decisions that affect other people deeply. And that is so hard, but ultimately necessary. And I know that we've talked about this and you've gone through some similar tough decisions, but it is like, what's the other consequence that the business is hurt yeah. because you don't do it? I worked for a company a while ago and, you know, they, they had to make some pretty serious cuts to the business at the time. And when they did it, they said, listen, we've got two options. We can keep everybody, but we can keep everybody for two months. Or we can keep the rest of you for at least six months and cover health insurance for everyone we're laying off for at least six months and give them a little bit of severance, you know? So while nobody wants to be laid off, nobody wants to be let go, but, and the company's survived and, you know, is doing well now, but it, you know, you have to make those hard decisions as a CEO, whether it's financial, whether it's because of what somebody's doing is impacting the overall health of the business and it's business. It is what it is. It is what it is. I think it's interesting when you've been let go or laid off before. I was also laid off where the company was bought out and they did like a complete restructure. And it's interesting because I'm like, am I resisting doing that? It's good that I know, yeah. right? Because I think the alternative is I'm a cold, hard, heartless bitch, just, you know, making decisions with no empathy or thought about the people. We don't want that either. But at the same time, you know, when you know what it feels like, it's harder to let to execute because you're like, God, I have been there. I know what it feels like to have just that fear of like, what's next? If your North Star is like the health of the business, the growth of your business, what the end goals are, and you know that deeply, it is not easier, but clearer what decisions need to be made. I totally agree. Totally agree. So in a lot of ways, you kind of alluded to this. So social media is, is a young person's game, as sometimes we like to say. And for anyone listening who doesn't know the two of us, we both live in New York City. It's very expensive here. You know, I think something you've had a lot of experience with is that people in their 20s right now have a very high bar and expectation of what working in New York City is life. I don't know if they just watched a lot of Gossip Girl and a lot of friends and are like, this is what everybody lives like, which, by the way, it is not. And, you know, we sound like crotchety old millennials and we're like, oh, back in my day, well, I shared an apartment with three strangers, which is like the millennial Manhattanites version of like, I walked uphill barefoot with, you know, three miles to go to school. But... It's a challenge to balance when, you know, I know both of us want to hire at a certain level. We want to pay at a certain level, but we're also both operating bootstrap startups with only so much cash that's available to spend. So how have you been navigating that? What other things are you doing to attract talent? So one thing that is my biggest, I'll start with my biggest pet peeve in the negotiating process when we're hiring is when someone quotes cost of living for a reason why they should have an increase in pay. And I'll tell you why. Like, yes, I get it. New York is expensive. Like no one is questioning that. But I think as a business owner, you would be much better off negotiating in a way that is like, 
here is how I'm going to bring a positive ROI to your business. And that's why I deserve more money. It's not my responsibility for how you live your life. I'm supposed to pay for your, I don't know, gallivanting on the, on the weekends and like living in a nice one bedroom. I don't know. It's not my responsibility. What is sure. my responsibility is to pay you fairly for what you are going to bring to my company, to this company. Mm -hmm. And so I think that negotiating tactic, like, I don't know where, I, I've just experienced it a lot and I don't know where it's coming from. It's like, and, and I'm not saying that we don't have a responsibility as a company to be paying people yes. fairly for where we are. It's just that as a negotiation tactic, it feels really expectational and really entitled. Whereas it's like, you are choosing to live here. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you have choices. I think the, the negotiation tactic itself really irks me. And maybe someone listening is going to be like, that's crass and callous. I disagree. But you know, listen, I would pay more if you were like, this is how much I'm going to impact your business positively. Mm -hmm. I would pay way more than if you're telling me that you deserve more because you live in New York City. And I also think coming from a place of like you and I both quoted like 42K as a starting salary in New York City. Literally, we've both lived, I lived in like a one bedroom with three people in my first, you know, two years in New York City. I think the idea that like it's impossible to live under yeah. X amount just ain't just like angers me. But anyway, anyway, moving on from that, how do we attract better talent now? I think we've really, really nailed our job descriptions now, whereas before it was like relatively generic or relatively open. Now it's like no there's no question what we are looking for in our job description. I think there's a lot of like personality from our company and also, you know, some things like eats, sleeps and breathes, trending reels. Like, it, you know, we're, we're specific. And if you don't like, if you're not vibing with what the job description says, it means that you're not right for the company. So I would say, you know, looking at like really working on your job descriptions and we have upped our salary, you know what I mean? And I think as a, as a founder of a small company, if you view everything that you're paying out too, as like, it affects your bottom line. It affects what you're mm -hmm. earning. And sometimes that can be really, really hard to stomach. You're like, oh my God, I've been killing myself for the last three years. Like I deserve yeah. to be making, you know, to, for my salary to be increasing, you know, because I'm, I'm working so hard. And so it's hard to like almost take a step back from that. If increasing hiring salary, you know, might affect your salary, but trying to think of the big picture, like knowing that that investment is going to come back to you in the long run, because you can't scale without good people, good talent, and that is going to take an investment. So sort of taking a step back and thinking about it from that perspective has been helpful to me. And then really nailing your process for hiring too. Like I think, you know, now we do do work assignments. We do a, a pre-screen work assignments and a second interview, as well as references, not assuming that what you're getting in the interview is what you're going to get when you hire. So like being so thorough, I have learned is super important. Oh my gosh, I, I could go on and on, but I will share something that happened recently that was like, oof, like even sharing this makes me a little bit nervous because I'm like, are people going to judge this and think that and be like, yeah, you are horrible. So our starting salary for our recent social media management hire started at 50K. Started. Okay. Started. It, it's like, a, you know, required like a degree and like maybe one year of experience. Right. But it hybrid in New York City. We had multiple comments on our recent Instagram post that was like, this is poverty, you know, just, just really like 
really tearing us down. And for me as a founder, that really upset me because I was like, you do not know how hard I have worked to even be able to offer a salary starting at 50K. You know what I mean? Just the like the, again, like expectation or assumption, you know, it just made me so angry. But it was also like, I I accepted, okay, we're getting to a level where people are going to criticize and critique what we do. And I'm going to have to get used to that. And, you know, there's always, people are always going to have opinions. People are always going to have feedback on things. And, you know, I think like we ended up hiring someone for that position at a higher level than what the starting was, right? And I think we ended at a fair number. But it's really fascinating just the different opinions that people have, especially when it comes to money, right? Like it's so triggering for some people. I mean, and it it's what we live on. So it's important. But if you're going through the hiring process, you will experience lots of things around salary, money, and people on in the in the posts and comments were like, I wonder how much the CEO is making comparative to like what salaries you're offering. I'm like, you just want to scream. Like you have no idea, you know, like how expensive it is to run a business all of these things. So I have gotten a very thick skin, I think, when it comes to that. But by thick skin, I mean, like, I cried definitely at some of those comments. I was like, really? Upset. Now I'm I, now I have a thick skin. You know, I think there's a scrappiness, too, that has to come with working at a startup as well that kind of goes into the salary thing as well. Something you and I had also talked about was when we first moved to New York, we both have backgrounds in performing and moved here with a lot of our friends who were performers and were trying to survive on very little money. And so like we were used to getting creative and that's also the type of employee we want. And I'm not saying that as a reason to underpay somebody or lowball them, but going back to what you said about getting just as creative about what value they're offering and understanding that a starting salary is a starting salary. is a starting point for negotiation. It doesn't necessarily mean it's where you have to end in terms of that base salary in it, we have private businesses. We have other ways we can compensate our team members, whether that's through bonuses, other perks, you know, I know you're in person, you know, taking that out to lunch every once in a while. Like there's other things that we do that make up for it. And like, yes, do we want to get that base salary up one day? Absolutely. But we have to do it at a rate that makes sense for the health of the business. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think too, you know, when you're first looking for a job, like, and, and as an employer too, when you're hiring and you're looking for someone who's the right fit, asking questions like, tell me about a time when you worked hard. I give it no context. I give it no, like, you know, in like at your last job or like, I want to know what that means to you because at a startup, you're probably going to work hard. It's not a place where you're just going to chill, smoke your cigarette and like, you know, have two things to do in your day and like watch Netflix. No, you're going to have to pull your weight when it's a small team. And if you're not into that, that is fine. That is cool. You do you like, you know, go work in house and like live your life. But I think really getting to the crux of like someone's work ethic and what value they're going to bring is hard to do because people will say, oh yeah, I'm I'm cool with that. I'm cool with, you know, having a lot on my plate. 
But that's why I really like the work hard question because and I learned that from a, I think from a, a podcast or reading something. I wish I could like cite who I got it from because it's not original and I won't take credit, but it's <laughs> fascinating people's answers, right? It tells a lot, I think, because some people will be like, oh, you know, I like really put a lot of my creative energy into this project. And then someone else will be like, I worked two full-time jobs. And you're like, you, that's right. it. Like, yeah. that's the, you know what I mean? Like, it's mm -hmm. just crazy the, the variety that you can get from asking like sort of an open-ended but like well-rounded question. And I love that one. Oh, I love that. I'm going to steal that for my next interview. Okay, Good. so one final story to end. You hired your husband and you fired him. Tell me the story. What was the experience and why did you decide that working together wasn't the right fit? Oh my God. I'm definitely like not going to tell him about this podcast. <laughs> um, but in the beginning, I was like, I saw a future where we were working together. We had the freedom to travel or work from anywhere, or we were both just like equally invested in this thing. And at the, my husband's an actor. And so at the time, you know, it was like pandemic. He was back working in the restaurant. And so it was like, hey, take a leap, like come work for me. We weren't even at the point yet where we could really like afford to hire him, but it was like, we'll figure it out. Let's just do it. Like I'll find the clients and we'll have, you know. And so it created a really toxic environment because we were not his dream. This was my dream. And I was really like forcing it on him. And he had something else that was his first acting, his career. That was his priority. And so he was video editing for us. And so it ended up being like his work was like just a little bit under our standards. And like, it was late and it just started to like, and it was bleeding into our whole life. You know what I mean? Then we'd sit at dinner and I'd be like, why wasn't that real done today? Like, you know, it was just, it was just getting to be really, really, really toxic. I think it's also interesting just exploring the balance between femininity, masculinity, balance in traditional marriage and all of that stuff, like how, and this really like threw things into such a disparity working together where like, I really felt like our marriage suffered for a while. And so the final straw was he did something wrong one day. Like he didn't turn in a video on time or something like that. There was a spelling error that one of the client, I'm not sure. And it was like clearly his fault, right? And so we were like having a company meeting about it. We were having a company meeting that was like, here are our standards, they need to be met. And he didn't show up to the meeting. God bless his soul, love you, Luke. I, I was like, that's it. Like I can't, and part of it too is like, your team needs to respect you. Like what is my team gonna think if I'm just like, oh, it's my husband, so like, it's fine. Ab no, absolutely not. So basically it was like, you're done. You're done. And it was, that was also really hard because then transitioning back out of that was super difficult on our relationship too, because I, I carried resentment from why couldn't you make this work? I gave you a place here and you screwed it up. I had a lot of resentment about it. And it took like a year, I think, for us to like rebalance things, to get back on track. And I, I think he had resentment too about like on lots of things. Maybe I forced him into it even though I thought I was doing the right thing or, you know, I was his boss for a while that really like, you know, wrecked things. And so some people I think can do it, but I think ultimately it's like, 
I had to make a decision too. Like I did kind of put my business first in a sense, but I also put my relationship first because it wasn't working and it was like time to separate those things out. So I think there's lots to unpack about just like being a successful woman in a marriage. Like we're in this weird place in 2023 where women, I was just, I saw a meme the other day. It's like we were raised with these like traditional values throughout our life, but also told that we can be successful and do anything. So it's like, you know, we're doing all the housework and it's like paying all the bills. It's just like so imbalanced and oh my God. So, you know, we, my husband and I have really been working through a lot of that. I've been in therapy to work through that, which I would highly recommend. But it's always going to be like relearning things that you were taught. And I say to anyone who is working with their spouse, like full support, it can be done. But also if it's not working, know that it's okay to change course and it will probably be healthier for you in the long run. Yes. Plenty of people don't work with their spouses and are just fine. Whatever way you need. Amen. Before we sign off, where can people find you? You can follow us on Instagram at media.alacarte. Hit our website at www.mediaalacarte.com. And I think Instagram would be the best way to connect and learn from us. All right. Well, thank you so much, Amandina, for your time and sharing your invaluable insights here on The Tough Stuff. Listeners, don't forget to share your thoughts on this episode on our latest post at Tough Stuff Pod. And hit that subscribe button to always get the latest episodes in your favorite podcast app. I'll see you next time. Tough Stuff is powered by Ice Vanilla Lattes and the team at Fast Forward Productions. Thank you to our guest for joining us for today's episode. Everything we talked about today can be found in our show notes and on toughstuffpod.com. And a very special thanks to you for tuning in. See you next time.